Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Your hosts today, Robbie Rockets, 12617, and the dude, Dariel, are here to bring you a new episode of Spit Wars. Here we go, let's dive in. All right, Dariel, how are we doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, how are you? Ah, feeling good. I'm very excited about starting this whole thing with Spit Wars going on. I'm going to have fun too. Ah, all right. Let's begin. So the prequel trilogy. We finally have Anakin introduced in the prequel trilogy. This is like the big thing. I feel when they announce like, oh, we're coming out with an origin story for Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. It's the origin story of all origin stories. Exactly. So we get this whole big thing of Anakin coming in. So Anakin, well, we first see him, he's a, he's a little boy when we first meet him. And he's a slave is how slave we see on Tatooine. him. Tatooine. Yeah, the slave on the planet of Tatooine. And well, his whole family is basically a slave. Him and his mother, they're both owned by that freaking Toydarian Watto. Yeah, Watto. I'm a Toydarian. Your Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. Only money. <laughs> So I think that's one of the I think that's one of the funny things about that. You may have won the tossed out Lander, but you'll never win the race. <laughs> yes. So this whole big thing of Anakin being introduced, and we learn that supposedly he's what they call the chosen one. Uh, yes. For those of you uh, who can't see uh, Darielle and I right now, we are doing air quotes for the chosen one on that because that's that's up for debate right now with. Uh, with our good friend Anakin in these uh, prequel trilogy of movies. So, but Anakin's introduced and you know what? I love how you wrote uh, in our notes that Anakin basically is Jesus in the Star Wars universe. You know, I didn't even write that down, but I had thought about that like instantaneously because- He's a Jesus character, really think about it. Has no father, immaculate conception. He is the strongest being. He senses the future like nobody else can. He is just this all-powerful being, but he's also corrupted by human want. Yes. It's like, it's like if Jesus was fallible. Exactly. Because Jesus, in essence, is the perfect person. He does no wrong. He sacrifices him out, himself for others. Where Anakin is a human that feels everything around him. And when those he loves goes, go on to the next life or are in trouble, he like reaches into this dark place of emotions instead of being clear-minded and believing in the faith of the force that the force will put everything in its right place yeah it's like anakin can't resist temptation and like we all know jesus passed the trials and he resisted the temptations so anakin is someone who can't resist and it puts him emotionally attached to things like you know especially like his mother and to padme so it's things like he can't let go we see and, it we see it when the council tests him when they first bring him to the in front of the council in phantom menace yes they're asking him all the questions and they're like you're afraid you you're missing someone who is it and then he yeah. says say he's saying his mom and all this other stuff and they're telling him well you have to let go of that fear because fear leads to darkness like you know all that that nice little exactly thing pain leads to suffering you know it's very interesting i think when he qui-gon and anakin first meet 
and the storm is coming in and he brings him to the house. Anakin's talking about how he had dreams of being a Jedi. And I think it's so like crucial that moment because then Qui-Gon realizes, I think, that he's like, you have dreams? No, you're not having dreams. You're having visions of the future because Jedi don't dream. They, they don't have, have nightmares. They have visions. That's what they have. And he even says it when he's explaining the whole thing about why Anakin is good at pod racing. His he has the quick reflexes. Because his reflexes are on point because he's seeing things before they happen. Exactly. He was so strong with the Force, which we find out that we know he's strong with the Force because Qui-Gon tests his blood and we find out about this thing of a midichlorian count. Oh, you mean the worst thing in the prequels? It, 100% the worst thing in the prequels, you know, because we hear about this thing called midichlorians, microscopic life forms that live within people, that, you know, it's the part of the force. But meanwhile, this is the only movie. We've gotten nine movies. We've had, and, Obi, we've had old Ben break it down to us. Exactly. And we've had nine movies with this, and it's only been mentioned in episode one. The fourth movie even created. Yeah, all of a sudden, the Force is something, is this organism that's in your blood when in A New Hope and all the other movies, I'm told that the Force is this magical, for, this magical thing that surrounds us, binds us, you know, connects it's like the a galaxy together. Veil. Yeah. In a sense, you know. It's something that, it's like oxygen, you know, everything takes oxygen. It's whether how well you take in oxygen or how well you're using that oxygen or whatever. Probably yes. a horrible analogy, but... So I just think it's so this. weird that they mention something like that and then it never gets mentioned ever again. Like, do you think that this would be something even mentioned later on at some point? No. Or you think it's just gone? It. It's not even mentioned in the Clone Wars or in any other movie. I think it's... I think Lucas, when he wrote it, I think he tried to put it in and I, in his head, maybe he thought it'll be something that caught on and he saw how much fans hated it and was like, yeah, never again. Because I think Star Wars is fun when you think of the Force as like this spiritual, magical thing. When you, when you try to relate those type of things to science, I think it takes away from the fun of Star Wars. Yeah. Then you're, you're like, you're marching into Star Trek territory because it's like start, the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek is Star Trek is based in science and exploration where Star Wars is more adventures and magic and religion and spirituality and laser swords. Exactly. There's like a whole different aspect of things that comes into this, you know, especially, especially spiritual wise. I feel like spiritual wise is like the biggest thing to it all. Cause especially when it comes to the Jedi training, there's times they have to meditate and then come in connection with things to the force, you know, like, even when they're put through Jedi trials, usually most people have to go to another planet almost, to another like maybe Jedi temple and they are, have to connect. It's like when they connect with lightsaber crystals. They yeah, have you to... have the, the kyber crystal picks you. You don't Exactly. So it's like you have to have some spiritual connection going on around It's that. almost like when Luke, when Luke in episode five is training on Dagobah and the cave. The cave calls out to him. Exactly. And it's a temptation in a sense, too. It's, yeah, it's a temptation. It's not, it's not, the cave is not calling out to him because of some scientific signal sending out to the microorganisms in his body. That is definitely 100% true. <laughs> yeah, it was the midichlorians that told Luke to uh, 
yeah, go, the, the, go fight the, the spiritual Darth Vader. <laughs> were like calling to Luke's midichlorians. They were like, come in. I just think uh, it's just the weirdest mention, I think, in majority of Star Wars. You know, you it's get one mention of it. Like, explain the force. Exactly. You know, they want it to seem like it almost like the way Qui-Gon explained it was if like, we're the, we're, he said it like, we're the host for these things to exist. You know, without them, it wouldn't work. You know, it's, it was very weird. And it almost, it almost does take away from the whole spiritual feeling. Cause it's like, okay. I, to me, I think when I think of like host and all that kind of stuff, I think of symbiote stuff like Spider-Man. And then it also like, Venom. it makes it seem as if the organ, you have to be from a family of Jedi to have strong, to have strong midichlorians. Cause when he finds out that Anakin has the high midichlorian count, the follow-up is when he talks to the mother and he says, what about the father? Is the father a Jedi or whatever? There is no father. There is no father. So, but when the force is, what I like about Star Wars is it's almost as if anyone could become a Jedi if they're strong enough in the force, if they're as in tune with the life energy around us. Yeah, But when you add midichlorians, you make this, you make it this biological thing where, oh, if I have a family of Jedi, then we're just going to keep having strong midichlorians. Like, that's how I take it. Not anyone... (laughs) The uh, quick way, I think, of, you know, them, like Qui-Gon was explaining to his mother, Shmi, you know, I think the only reason we didn't know he existed was because of where you're located on Tatooine. So the way, to me, when he was explaining that, it seemed like the only way they find these young children, you know, or they they, usually they take them when they're infants, Mm -hmm. you know, the way he was explaining it is if like, oh, we track them down by knowing the midichlorian count in their body but then you know, it's but then, then it just becomes things, all absent throughout all the other films but in all the other like films and comics and like cartoons how do you track force sensitive children like they just know they just feel that someone's force sensitive they feel yeah you know they i got a feeling yeah that's you know that's that's usually I how they go by it because when he says oh we didn't pick up on him i took it as anakin's in the outer rim the republic probably they can only pick up where the republic touches if the republic exactly that's why that's why they landed on that planet to be safe because they couldn't land on a separatist planet like with the trade federation going after them and they're like well you know what trade federation ain't here i'd rather take my chance with the huts who aren't looking for her for the princess at the time which you know that ended up well the queen i should say queen amidala but that ended up working like that so, but anywho, we're on Tatooine, the most desolate planet. Where we first hear about the prophecy. Yes. And this prophecy. Which is a theme in the prequel movies. All like episode one, yes. two, three. The and big thing is the prophecy. Exactly. And Qui-Gon believes that Anakin's this prophecy because with no father, he is to believe to have been conceived by the midichlorians. So, and Qui-Gon, obviously, he brings Anakin to the council and everyone is completely against this. And it's not even just in this movie that they're against it, just because, you know, he's young in the movie, don't get me wrong, but for them, he's old. He can't learn to be Jedi at that age already. But throughout all three movies, they're all like against this prophecy of thinking Anakin is the one because of the fear and everything that he's like still emotionally attached to. But my thing is, 
it almost feels as if they're against, they don't know whether the prophecy is real or not. Yes, that's so true. You have people like Mace Windu who doesn't believe the prophecy. I don't think he believes the prophecy. And I definitely believe that he doesn't think Anakin is the chosen one if there is a chosen one. Yes. And you realize this also, because from the beginning, Mace never trusted Anakin since he got first introduced. And you know this too, because when you see in Revenge of the Sith, when Anakin goes to Mace about Palpatine being the dark Jedi they've been looking for, he says to him, Anakin, I will take care of it. And the only way I'll trust you is if you stay behind. So it goes to show that he hasn't, he hasn't trusted him in years of this he entire movie. In years. And then the scene when, before Obi-Wan goes to Upatau, to fight Grievous, and they're in the, the gunship. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about Anakin's new assignment of spying on the Emperor. Everyone's like, is it too much for him? Windu's like, well, what about the prophecy? And then Yoda, who the whole series Yoda, I think Yoda believes in the idea of the prophecy. I don't know if he know, thinks that Anakin is that chosen one. Yeah, I think to some then extent. Then all of a sudden, they think you hear he Yoda is. say, "Prophecy misread could have been." Yes, and I think that was so big when he says that because it's like the prophecy can be read to a certain extent, but he may have all these qualities, but how do you know he's not going to fulfill the rest of the qualities? And it almost goes back to like what we were talking about earlier about spirituality in the in the movies. Exactly, like the prophecy can almost be taken as like the Bible. So it's exactly there's. Said in, the Bible or something, and it's how you interpret it. Is there such thing as the chosen one? Is there an all? Is there going to be a being to bring balance? Is one person going to bring balance to the force, or yeah. can it just be a force of people bringing balance? Exactly. Like, it, does there need to be like a certain amount on each side for there to be balance? So I think, I mean, me personally, I don't think Anakin was the chosen one. I think I he had aspects of the chosen one and maybe an heir of his is the chosen one. That's how I take it in a concept. I don't believe there's ever been a chosen one. I don't, I, I, I'm more on Windu's part where I believe that it's just no a fate. Yeah. And it's, it's a fate. fate. Basically how there's like in our life, there's different religions. There's Catholicism, you know, there's Buddhism, you know, there's all these religions out there and you can have faith in any single one of them. That's your choice. You know, Windu decided not to believe that this was the faith to go by. Also, I think the four, because the way people explain the force is the force works in mysterious ways and it always finds itself to like correcting things. Yeah. So I think if there is imbalance, something's going to happen where balance is going to re is going to come back and everything's going to reset. Yes. Because even, even when we go into the, the original trilogy, there is, there's an imbalance because the, Gal the Galactic Empire is in charge and you have the rebels fighting. And then you have Luke. Luke pops up out of nowhere and brings balance to the Force. He brings balance as in essence. Yes. And the same thing with Rey. It's very true. There's, so I don't, there's I don't a balance there's that pops one, up out of nowhere thing or one person that is the chosen one i think it's the chosen one is whoever the force puts in that position to bring balance and uses them to guide through like a certain process of things 
I think Anakin could have been the one, but the way the Force was moving, I think the Jedi Council put so much pressure on him to be this quote-unquote chosen one. Yeah. That the Force was like, no, this isn't how it works. You can't force me. You can't make things the way you want it. Things have to happen in its own way. You could also, like, another way of I thought that this could also work is, like, maybe Anakin was a chosen one all along, even though he did turn to the dark side, only because I think of it as if the Jedi were ruling the galaxy, basically, for thousands of generations, you know, when Phantom Menace starts, basically, what if the thousands of generations had to come to an end at some point and him joining the dark side and becoming the Galactic Empire and then having their reign for that time being was to bring a balance. Like the bad guys had to be ahead at some point mm-hmm. in life, put it that way, in essence. You know, eventually the bad guys got to be in lead and you have to deal with, I guess, it's almost like a dictatorship. They go to the planets, they take it over. Listen, you're making that profit. Guess what? I get this part of the profit. You can keep that. That's almost what it came down to. So in a sense, I think it could also work in that type of a perspective. That's true. Because even in the Clone Wars cartoon, not the Clone Wars cartoon, in Star Wars Rebel, in the Rebels cartoon, the, the Bendu. Yes. The way he talks about the force, there's the light and the dark and they're always, one can't be more than the other. Exactly. Like this, it's always going to fluctuate in a so, sense. I agree with what you're saying. That maybe Anakin turning to the dark side was a balancing. Yeah. But like I it was believe just. believe that a balancing was happening and Palpatine was aware of it and took advantage. Yes. To tip it more into his favor. His favor. Than- because he was tipping things into his favor when, well, when he first sees Anakin at the end of like Phantom Menace. You know, he's like, oh, we're going to keep a great interest and see how things work out with you. And you're like, oh, boy. Now he's keeping an eye on him. So even and then in episode two and three, he's always complimenting Anakin like, oh, great job, buddy. Yeah, you're so exactly. And that's that builds their ego. Yeah, that's like building his ego. And that's why I think it's so big and crucial like Qui-Gon Jinn's death and that duel of the fates with Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Maul, where Qui-Gon, unfortunately, Liam Neeson, we all love you, you know, had to get killed in that scene. And I think that that plays such a crucial role into how Anakin's life becomes, you know, into a Jedi and everything, because Qui-Gon was the one who had the most faith in Anakin being this chosen one to bring balance and put an end to what was going on with the Sith and to find out who this dark Lord is in that was in hiding, basically, you know, quite only did he have faith in him. He had this strong connection to the living force, which I think would have molded Anakin differently than how Obi-Wan was molding him. Yes. Like the way I see some of it too, is like in the beginning of attack of the clones after, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan chase Zam Wessel. When they chase Zam, they get to that bar. And basically, they go over the game plan. But Anakin says to him, well, you've been a father figure to me for uh, for the time being and everything. So right there is kind of like 
you see that Obi-Wan was the father figure when Anakin was younger. So you look at Anakin, how he was the size of the Phantom Menace. Now you jump 10 years later, someone who's older than him still, when you're grooming him that young to be a Jedi, you could see that person as a father figure. But I think when their journeys kept going on, like especially through the Clone Wars and like he's older, that kind of made them more brothers. Yeah, I think the fact of the Clone Wars and them fighting together side by side made them more brothers than father and son. Exactly. And that's why I think, you know, Qui-Gon was supposed to be that father figure. Because Qui-Gon, you ask me, I think Qui-Gon's age in The Phantom Menace, I think he's about... 65 years old at least i'm thinking he's that old in all honesty the gray hair and everything you know i'm you know because the way i see it i look at a guy like count dooku and qui-gon jinn they're kind of like you know they're old if you think about them well they're also master and apprentice exactly that too so i see qui-gon as a guy who's definitely in his 60s you know when it comes to the phantom menace movie and that's why I think he's more of the father figure that Anakin needed to be molded into because I don't think he needed a brother. He needed a father because he never had a father. He also needed someone to teach him the intricacies of the force and what it means to be a Jedi and that it's okay to let go. Yeah. And I think Qui-Gon was the big role to it because you you still know that Anakin and Obi-Wan they treated themselves like brothers and like all brothers do brothers argue they fight yeah they fight you know and you see that in the fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan where he says you are my brother Anakin I loved, I loved you. you like so you knew right off the bat they were brothers basically but then um, always when there's an older brother and little brother sometimes you do have that father dynamic where the younger sibling looks up to the older sibling yeah as a father figure almost yeah i could see that in that moment he says i failed you Mm -hmm. he acknowledges that he didn't train anakin right and he let anakin down by allowing anakin to turn to the dark side i think if obi-wan was more accepting of anakin and was more patient yeah something that qui-gon was always telling obi-wan to be mindful of patience yeah yeah he he told that to him on his last words basically and be mindful of the living force and not to always not to always worry about the future but just the moment exactly and i i still will always think that qui-gon's the big reason to it because even you see throughout those movies like how much closer anakin got to the chancellor and who we know the chancellor ended up being the dark lord they've been looking for this whole time and you see in the third movie he says to anakin Anakin, son, like, I need your help. I need you to help me with what's going on right now. You know, I feel like something's going to happen. And because of their bond that they've had, Anakin's like, all right, yeah, I'll do what I can, you know? Meanwhile, Anakin's getting asked to play both sides because he's asked to, by the council, to spy on the chancellor. And he's also asked to help out the chancellor like what's going on like the jedi are keeping me in the dark something's going on i need to know what goes on so it's like almost like palpatine who also is older you look at palpatine's age like he was pro- he's at that age of a father figure that qui-gon could have been for anakin and he kind of supplements for that role and he feeds into anakin's ego 
But it's almost like Anakin's constantly looking for parental figures. Yeah. It feels like. In a sense, it kind of seems like that way as well. Because remember, he lost his mom. He lost you know, his that mom. Emotional attachment you can to her. Put Qui Gon in that fatherhood, that parental figure. And then in the beginning of Attack of the Clones, he puts Obi Wan in that parental figure role. And then in episode three, it's Palpatine. Yeah. And you know it's Palpatine because you hear like, oh yeah, he's grown very close to the Chancellor over the last 10 years. We'll get him to spy on him, you know, to help us because something's going on. This guy's been in office well over terms. Like we got us, we we got someone on the inside. Which he's been in. He was plotting from the start, and you can even tell. I don't if you pay attention in Phantom Menace, certain scenes with Palpatine, you see him grinning and smirking towards. Exactly, and he went because he's the representative for Naboo. For Naboo, and he bugs out when Padme goes, "Yeah, I'm going back to Naboo to fight." Yeah, like he didn't account for her to do that. Exactly. And him... So I always think, so what if the Naboo fought from the start? Yeah, so I've I seen that you had put that. Like, if the Naboo fought from the start, it would be very interesting to know what would happen. We wouldn't. We probably wouldn't have the issue of, you know, Padme constantly being killed or trying to get, you know, people trying to constantly kill Padme. Yeah, because that was the first thing that tried to happen in Attack of the Clones. They tried, the opening scene was them, they had a decoy and they were trying to kill Padme. And then that's, you know, the whole Zam Wessel chase and everything. If there were, if they went to war straight, the Jedi's would, the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan would have just been advisors to make sure that everything was fine. That everything yeah. was copacetic. Or they wouldn't have, they the would not have gotten off. involved. Mm-hmm. The only reason they were involved is because they went there to do the negotiations. There were no negotiations. So as Qui-Gon said in the movie, no negotiations took place. The Naboo were fighting in the beginning. Well, that would be a whole different outcome on things. And then they, you don't have Anakin. You, you don't have, find Anakin. You know, yeah, I was just going to say that. You, you don't find him. The only reason you find him is because you had to escape. So it makes you so, think, will there have ever been a clone war if you never found Anakin? That's very true. Because that, that's Would you have Separatists? Would you have Separatists coming up? If you pay attention, the Separatists want to leave the Republic because they feel... The Republic isn't as strong because yes. they don't trust the Chancellor. Exactly. And Palpatine would have never became Chancellor. If it weren't for all this happening. Exactly. So it and was like... all those systems wouldn't have felt ignored because they would have had the bureaucracy or whatever that was going on before. Because it's crucial. In that scene, they're all going against, like, Chancellor Valorum. And he's like, watch, the Chancellor is going to get weak now because they're questioning him. And... It's exactly what you see. They all start arguing and he, him. he just he sits her. down. He tells her, he goes, they're going to try to settle it in committee. So with all that happening, it all just works in, you know, Palpatine's favor. That's, that's all that happens. He's always a step ahead. Exactly. Even Maul says in the, in the last few episodes of Clone Wars. He was always a step ahead. Yeah. And Maul. Everyone's playing checkers and he's playing chess. Yeah, and Maul always knew that because, you know, Master and Apprentice, they always know each other. And when it comes to those uh, those terms of things. Yeah, Phantom Menace, eh, I think I mean, about it's it. better than the, the love story that and is episode two. That's true. Before we jump there, with the Phantom Menace, 
an interesting thing that so you were saying how like with the whole battle of Naboo like oh what would happen if they they already started the war like the clone wars probably wouldn't have happened interesting take if the war had already started it makes me think of like an original story that Lucas had thought of doing in uh the Phantom Menace when originally Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were going to go to the Gungan city the Gungans were all going to be killed. They were going to have the droid army obliterate the entire city. And if... No, Jar Jar. Well, Jar Jar would have been with them, unfortunately. So Jar Jar would have been like a more probably depressed character because his whole city would have been killed and he was exiled. But I just... annoying. Yeah, I found that as a very interesting aspect. And I felt like it kind of tied into what you said, like what what would have happened if the war was already, like they already jumped into the war. Jedi would be the advisors, and I, it made me think of how it was originally written, where the Gungans were wiped out. And it took the whole it took the whole first half of the movie for Padme to realize, oh, Naboo is more than just the people who live in her city or whatever. Exactly. What about the people who the Gungans? Yeah, it's, it's their planet too. Exactly. And Qui Gon says it. He says, "Whatever happens on the surface is going to come back down here." Yeah, it's a symbiotic relationship. Exactly. They're going to find their way to take over everything on that planet. But the other two things I want to mention from Phantom Menace, you have your cameo appearance in the pod racing by Aurora Singh, which I thought was awesome. Big bounty hunter, big Clone Wars character, especially to Boba Fett and Quinlan Voss in that uh, little scene sitting down there eating. And uh, Sebulba and Jar Jar are about to get at it. So... I think, yeah, he was a very, like, mellow Jedi, Quinlan Boss. Yeah, you got to do it, man. Like, it's also <laughs> weird because he had those weird, he always, like, saw things. So everyone was always thought he was, like, weirdo. Oh, yeah, no, he was. He he was a weirdo. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was. Everyone thought he was a little weird. He, his methods were, like, unorthodox. Yeah. As they say. I love the few episodes he's in in the Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah, you're like, yo, this guy kind of like, he knows what he's doing. I mean, his methods may be a little unorthodox, but they do work. Yeah, so, like, it, it pans out. It gets yeah, results. That's what I think is, you know, pretty cool with uh, Quinlan Voss. And especially, like, if it weren't for the Clone Wars, you would have never known that that was him sitting there eating, you know, the yeah. little cameo, you know, who knows what he was working up to with the Jedi or he was just a... Uh, on his own little... Yeah, his own little... Adventure. Exactly, his own little entourage type of thing. We basically hit episode two. It's a forced love story, in a it's sense. A for- it's a forced love story because the the dialogue is awkward. It It's like they didn't think of a way to naturally make them fall in love. Yeah, it wasn't like... Like, uh, it, towards the end, it makes sense. The love story makes sense towards the end because they go through... They almost die together. On yeah, Geonosian. they're going into the Geonosian pit. And they think they're and all going to die. they admit feelings to each other, but everything on Naboo is we- is awkward. Listen, also, Anakin's super obsessive. Yeah, he is. Which like, makes he it wouldn't... weird, which makes like the dynamic weird of them falling in love because you have one of them who's obsessed with the person. And the other and one's... The other person is just like, yeah, whatever, you were that little kid I knew. Exactly. And it's like, it's almost like that thing that's like, you're that little kid who had the crush on like the babysitter or the, the something. The babysitter, yeah. And you're like now older you're and now you're like, oh man, I, I, exactly. Like, that's what I think of them. But it was very forced. And I mean, 
I get it. You had to show Anakin like a way that he was going to be having his kids for the original trilogy's sake. You know, you're like, oh, you find out like Anakin had Leia and Luke. So you're trying to figure out what's the origin of how Leia and Luke came about. And I don't know. It's very forced, in my opinion, total opposite from its, you know, I guess sequel counterpart of The Empire Strikes Back. Because, like, the love that happens in The Empire Strikes Back is not forced. It's not forced. It's upon natural. That. It's their comrades. They have feelings for each other, but it's Leia doesn't know what her feelings for Han are. In The Empire Strikes Back, they have more that's going on that is more important than them, like, canoodling or whatever you want to say. And you see that there's a bond between them, between Han and Leia. Yes. Because even when they get to Cloud City, she's worried. She's like, I don't feel comfortable here. And he's like, nah, chill. Yeah, he's like, it's all right. Lando's a good friend of mine, you know? Like, or even like the, old, the, the most famous line, I love you. I know. I know. Yeah, like that's great. I, I, you know, I, like me and my girlfriend, I have a shirt with Han on it. And it says, I know. And she's got the Leia one that says, I love you. Like it, but Han's the best. Oh, I, I've, uh, I've told my girlfriend. Well, she's told me I love you. And I've replied, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'll do I, it on occasion, not all the time, but I'll, I'll sprinkle it in there. Yeah, I, I won't, I, I won't blow it out of proportion. I can't, I can't let it get like died out or get killed, you know. But then talking about Han and Leia's romance, you know, you had their relationship from Empire, even in Return of the Jedi. Yes, when they're on Endor, and he's like super jealous that he thinks she wants Luke. Luke. And then, you know, find out the truth later on. Yeah, but the whole movie, the whole movie, he's like, oh, what's, what's up with her and Luke? What's up with her and Luke? Why are they meeting in private? Are they hooking up? Like, what about me? Yeah. I've been, I've been frozen for a year. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not dumb. You know, but I don't know. It, it just, it was a very, like, big love story in a sense of how things were gone about. Like, you never, you know what it is? I guess when you think about it, you don't expect Jedi to have that kind of a story or that kind of like chunk of a movie taken up because the Jedi are not supposed to love. They're not supposed to be attached to anybody like emotionally or anything. And they're not supposed to get married. That's also and for it's starters. brought up when they're on Naboo. Yeah, exactly. She says it. She's like, aren't Jedi not supposed to have relationships or and be in you know, love? It's funny you even mention that too, because she also says, she's like, this could never work. You're a Jedi and I'm a politician. So when she says that, I'm like, hold on a minute. She's not, I think she's for like disregarding the whole thing that Jedi can't be married. She just doesn't think it can happen now because they're, one's a Jedi and one's a politician. And they're always like at different at ends odds, with each yeah. other. Yeah, they're on different ends when it comes down to like Senate meetings and everything and what's got to happen where and who's got to go where because the politicians got to deal with all that stuff. And the Jedi, they're basically, when it comes to the war, they're the generals of all these clone troopers, you know? And that's what you get in Attack of the Clones. You get all these clones that start to come in and everyone gets squads. But yeah, because they make it apparent that the Jedi's numbers are not what they used to be. They don't yes. have enough Jedi to keep peace within the whole galaxy. Whole galaxy. And I think, I, I mean, one thing I do like about the prequel trilogy is it made up for the lack of, like, battles that happened in the original trilogy. I mean, not, not to say that, listen, the original trilogy is still the masterpiece of the entire Skywalker saga. 
don't get me wrong. But we never had all those Jedi battles we got to see. But like, it's cool because we, in episode four, when Ben is telling Luke about Anakin, you know. Yeah. He's telling, he's saying, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. You hear the Clone Wars mentioned. You and fought in the cool Clone that, Wars? Yeah. Like, like, everyone knows the Clone Wars, but it's cool that in the prequel, you finally see what the Clone Wars were. Yeah, and you see the start of it. Like, as Yoda says, and begun has the Clone Wars, you know? So that that's a whole big thing with everything in that. And I love that you get to see all these, like, Jedi engagement battles, like, happening in the prequel trilogy. Like, it's very interesting, especially, honestly, the best part of Attack of the Clones, I think, is it's the, the Geonosian battle arena. Yeah. You know, when you have the Geonosian battle arena and Mace Windu, Jango Fett, you know, then Yoda shows up with all the clones dis- disembarging because the battle droids coming through. Like, you're like, whoa, here's the army now. The cavalry's just arrived. Also, the lightsaber battles in the prequels are much better. Yeah. But it's not even, a, it's one, it's the time that, in which they were made. Mm-hmm. That's but true. To, you had a different day and age and technology. The that like Lucas has given and other people who have made the Star Wars universe, they're like, in the prequels, the Jedi have been around for a long time, so they know all these forms of lightsaber fighting. Exactly. And not even just lightsaber fighting. I take, for example, that battle in Attack of the Clones between Dooku, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and then Yoda showing up after when basically Yoda and An- um, I'm sorry, Yoda and Dooku are fighting with the Force. And Dooku's like, well, it seems like this battle can't be taken by our knowledge of the Force, but with now a lightsaber. And then they have to get to fighting with lightsabers. Like, that, I think, is really cool. Like, I don't think in the original trilogy you'll ever see anyone doing how fighting like how Yoda fights or how Sidious fights. Yes, like You're everything ha- is much slower. It's more like rough and tough. Yeah. Whereas in the prequels, there's finesse to it. It's like art. It's almost like fencing. Yeah, you have a whole thing going around. You have lightsabers being swung around. Like think of it when Obi Wan went down against Dooku in that fight. Obi Wan tosses his lightsaber to Anakin, and now you see Anakin dual wielding, you know, two sabers. Granted, one of the sabers did not get to last that long. It got destroyed and he, by he Dooku. Also looks really awkward fighting with you know but you know it's pretty interesting you see him maneuver and going back to episode one the quick reflexes anakin had those quick reflexes where he knew what he was doing dual wielding those things yeah you know granted anakin's a padawan he's going against the dark lord and doth tyrannus you Uh, know a dark lord and also former jedi master yeah that too you know you're looking at you know qui-gon jen's master for you know for starters you know eventually Anakin looks good fighting against him, but you knew he wasn't going to hold his ground completely. Not at that point. You know, like, Dooku knows what he's doing. I think Christopher Lee was awesome when he when he played Count Dooku. Oh, absolutely. Even the... I always thought his lightsaber was cool. The, like, the curved... The yes, curved with the curve hilt and everything. Even the way he fought, he fought like a fencer. Like, it was, like, it was aristocratic the way he fought. Yeah. Even like, when uh, he's fighting, fighting against Obi-Wan and Anakin, the way he, like, disarms obi-wan like he he stabs him in the shoulder and the leg and it's just like you knew dooku was definitely a skilled like fighter and everything because we did get the look of how dooku fought throughout the clone wars like Mm -hmm. he 
he knew what he was doing, wielding a lightsaber at his age and everything. Nobody like, beat him in the cartoon. Exactly. Like, he was... Not a, even his own apprentices. Exactly. They all tried to fight him. Yeah. Between Savage and Asajj. Uh, Asajj, yeah. Like, you had all them going against him, and it and my was... sisters. Yeah, it was never a no You know, like, he always had the upper hand, Dooku. Uh, it's very interesting, all these battles that take place in the prequels. I, I definitely must say. Even in the opening of Revenge of the Sith, you have that big, gigantic battle above Coruscant in space. Yeah, you have the space battle just happening. And then they, they have to find their way into the flagship to save the Palpatine. Yes, they have to save the Chancellor. It's just that large scale. And then even the little snippets we get in uh, Revenge of the Sith when you have they show the different Jedis fighting on their different planets, like you see when yes. they show when Yoda arrives to Kashyyyk. Exactly. The Wookiees are already fighting. Yeah. They're getting ready for their battle and everything. So and that when like even when Obi-Wan gets to Upatau and he already confronts Grievous and then the clones come in, you see these you see all these clones zip lining down and shooting it up. Hello there. General Kenobi. <laughs> like that's that, that I think is one of the best parts of uh, when he's on uh, Utapau there. Expecting you. <laughs> yeah, his uh, infamous grievous cough right there. Do you think it's the Force leading to these events? Do you think it's Palpatine leading to it, or do you think it's both working at the same time and things are working in favor towards some I think, people? I think the Clone Wars itself and all the battles that ensue because of it are a result of Palpatine's manipulation of events Mm -hmm. to go into his favor. So I don't think it's the force. Because I think the force is is there. It it is ever-present. But I think people can manipulate it because we have force wielders. So if you're a force wielder, you're obviously allowed to manipulate it and use it. Tip the odds in your favor. And it's funny you mentioned that. I believe that... Palpatine, because even Jedi, they see into the future. You have visions, but you're not supposed to act on your visions. Exactly. To act on your visions is almost an act of the dark side. And it's funny because Anakin does that. He acts on his visions. Visions. And he did that with his first vision on his mother when he murdered all the sand people to go save her. Everyone tells him, don't don't follow the visions because it doesn't mean that it'll come true. Exactly. And he gives in. If you think about it, it's him giving in to the temptation. He is Jesus if Jesus fell to temptation. Yeah. Like, you see he gives into it for his mother, and you see he gives into it for Padme. The only only person who is this infallible light is Luke. Luke is the purest thing in that that Skywalker saga. He's so pure. Like, the crazy thing about it is, like, I... I'll never forget in Return of the Jedi when he force chokes the Gamorrean. And I'm like, wait a minute. He just did a dark side move. Like, he used the dark side power and never gave in to the dark side. Because he didn't kill him. He showed restraint. Exactly. And I think that that's so big. Which someone is like that. a big part in the sequel trilogy when he almost kills Ben. And he, he shows doesn't restraint. Show, he gave in to, the, the one time he gave in to Temptation... He tipped the scales of the force onto the dark side. Yeah. That one time he was, he had an off day. So the force you the force is like what 
can manipulate for things to happen. Like even look at Qui-Gon. He used the force in his favor to free Anakin by, you know, the, with the Watto's die. You know, he made it change the color to blue. You know, for all we know, it was going to land on red. It, well, actually, I read a thing. It's supposed to land on red. Okay. So in, it's intentionally supposed to land on red. That's why Watto gets upset. Because Watto knows that he His, used the force because oh, it was supposed to land on red. So That's why he made the bet. It's kind of like when you switch, like if someone's gambling at a casino at the crabs table, you switch the dice, you know, yeah. to get it in your favor of the roll. Exactly. Oh, that's actually interesting. I didn't even think of that. Like Watto having a die in his favor. Gambling, if you're a gambler, you're going to always gamble in your favor, especially if you're good at it. It's funny. So Watto wasn't going to leave something like that just a chance. He like, Watto gambles it in his favor. But meanwhile, his favor was already in his odds in terms of the pod racing because he put the money up for Qui-Gon to get his pod in there for Anakin to race it. Mm-hmm. Qui-Gon was giving the profits to Watto. And even if Qui-Gon said, listen, even if I lose, you get my Nubian. No matter what, Watto was winning, but he was getting greedy and he has to use the die in his favor to make sure and he doesn't Qui-Gon lose the that. slave. So that, I, that's, that's actually pretty interesting. I didn't even think of it being like something similar to people changing the dice on the crab table at a casino. Yeah, it, uh, it changes your whole perspective of it. It does because because you're because once you think of it like that, you realize oh shit, Qui Gon's manipulating. It's taking advantage of his gambling. Listen, I mean the, some of he those Jedi mind trick him, but he could money. Jedi gamble trick him. As as uh, as Watto says, I'm a Toydarian. <laughs> money, no Jedi mind tricks. Until you know, we see him in Attack of the Clones, it's a bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he loses everything then. But yeah, I think it's like people will use the force in their favor, kind of like what Palpatine did to have everything to happen. Like, think about it. Or he, even in what he did in the sequel trilogy, which creating a, a, di- a dyad in the force. Mm-hmm. The, yes. Between Ray, trying to take advantage of Ray and Ben and Ben's dyad. Yeah. Which because I think he, he tried to create, I think he tried to do that with Vader. Yeah. But the force connection never took. There was always something holding him back. They're still yeah. good, as Padme said. So, but it's interesting how the that dyad in the Force works because you have two people who are strong in the Force who build a bond. Yeah. This unbreakable bond. You know, the one thing that I love. He thought that he maybe he thought that his father-son relationship with Anakin would have created that. Yeah. It's almost like we were saying the Force works in mysterious ways because he's trying to force this relationship. Yeah. And it doesn't happen, but the Force magically makes it happen for Ray and Ben, almost as if the Force brought them together so Ray can save Ben. Like Palpatine does all this stuff essentially from the beginning, because if you because think about it, in like Attack of the Clones, he knows yeah. all these weird things from Darth Plagueis. Yes, and, and it's crazy it. when he's telling Anakin he's t- the he's story. Being, he's being so coy about it. Yeah, oh, some said he even knew the secret to. To saving people from death. Yeah, like I love, I love when that scene happens because it's like, do you know the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Well, it's one I wouldn't expect you to hear. And then he like, goes, but he failed because he taught his apprentice everything, and it's like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, like this. Like, how just, do you know that? Yeah, so that happening, and that's that's a big key into 
into Anakin right there because that's what kind of makes him really want to turn to the dark side in a sense or to learn that just to save her because of his visions. Because he can't let go. Exactly. Like he's always tied down to these emotions. And that's why I think that plays such a big part at the end of Revenge of the Sith where when Palpatine tells Darth Vader, Mm -hmm. you know, like he says, did Padme survive? And he goes, I'm afraid in your anger, you killed her. her. So now... Anakin realizes he's got nothing left. He's just filled with hate and anger. Which exactly. Is and which is his strongest quality because even Dooku says it. Yes. You have so much fear. Fear. I sense, yeah, that I sense in you, but young you Skywalker. Yeah, that was right in the, the, the beginning when they fought saving Palpatine. And Dooku was like, all right, you know, that's what I sense in you. And that's great because Palpatine's just like, kill him. And it's so crazy. And he does it without hesitation, without Between, thinking. Like he feels no, remorse after the fact, but in the moment, he's like, no, this is right. And that's how you know like Palpatine and Anakin have been close over the years because Palpatine says to him, oh, you know, remember the time you told me the story about your mother and the sand people and how you killed them all? He manipulates Anakin. He uses Anakin's weaknesses against him. Yeah. To to get for his own benefit, for Palpatine's benefit. Exactly. And that's the way he's like grooming him and him telling him to kill Dooku. That's the perfect time for him to do that. Because where... he's, he's switching apprentices at that exactly. moment. Exactly. Because even who, I don't know, I don't remember if it's Obi-Wan or Yoda who says it. The rule of two. But not just the rule of two, but Anakin became... Palpatine's Sidious's apprentice the moment Dooku fell yeah the moment Dooku fell is when that happened basically and you knew Yoda. yeah I think it's Yoda in in the in um attack of the not attack of the clones in revenge of the Sith that's, and that's it. it's crazy when all that happens you know too like he becomes so he becomes the apprentice of Darth Sidious and that you know basically that happening executes order 66 and that's basically now all the extermination of all the jedi our good friend samuel jackson mace windu is dead unfortunately but he goes out he goes out like a boss though he did he did go out like a boss which fun fact when samuel jackson took the role as mace windu he told george lucas i know i'm gonna eventually die i ain't going out like no bitch (laughs) (laughs) so and that's that's that, but that's how Samuel L. Jackson is as a person yeah. in real life. He and I think he didn't he did an interview after Reven- Revenge of the Sith came out, and they were like, "Oh, are you happy with how you died in the movie?" And he goes, "Yeah, because I didn't go out like no bitch." <laughs> it's crazy how Palpatine he just he groomed Anakin the whole time. That's literally how it was, and I think it's interesting because the Sith abide by the rule of two. You hear how. You know, Yoda and Mace talk about it at the end of The Phantom Menace. He says, oh, there's always two. But which one was killed, the master or the apprentice? And I always find it interesting with that concept because it's always usually the master, I mean, the apprentice that kills the master. But with Palpatine, because he learned everything from Plagueis, he, like Maul said, he's always ahead. Yeah. And he made sure, like, he would have the next person. So he he knows what to tell his apprentices. Yeah. Because, like, really think about it, how he picks his apprentices. Darth Maul, he picks as this anger-filled kill machine. Yeah. 
Because all Maul does is thrive off chaos and just wants to kill Jedi. Exactly. He's yearning to kill Jedi. When he yeah. sends him to, to get the queen for the opportunity to face off against two Jedi, it's like amazing for him. Yeah. And the way Sidious gets Dooku, Dooku leaves the Jedi Order because he doesn't feel happy with how the Republic is going. And what happens? He's leading this movement of other systems leaving the Republic. Separatists. They're separating. Yeah, they're separating. So the separatist movement starts. And Sidious comes to Dooku saying, oh, well, you know, the Republic's, you know, messed up. If you want a new way, let's follow me. If we work together, we can create something new, a better system. And that's how the Sith always operate. The two of them will take control of of something. So I think the relationship that he had with Dooku is master and apprentice, but it's more like co-conspirator. Dooku is already trained. He just needs to learn the dark side. Exactly. Like, they were both at that, you know... um, He's also much older, so he doesn't doesn't have the veracity that a Sith apprentice should have. Exactly. Like, he's 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 wiser. He ends up killing his master because he wants more power. Exactly. How do you gain more power? How do I prove that I'm more powerful than anyone by killing my master? Exactly. And then take on another apprentice in the cycle. That's the whole thing with Darth Plagueis the Wise. He kills him when he learns, you know, Sidious kills him when he learns everything. Even when he, when Sidious has Anakin, well, not even Anakin, when he has Vader. Because I think Anakin and Vader are two different people. Yeah, in a sense. When he has Vader, Vader can't overthrow the Emperor because Vader has so many physical limitations. It's, and him being more machine. Yeah, yeah it's machine. all mechanical. He's more machine one, than he was one, human. One Sith lightning bolt and he's done. Exactly. The suit's, the suit's overloaded. So he's got to worry about that. So, yeah, Palpatine follows the rule of... He's, he's mastered the rule of two because he knows how to use it to his benefit without ever having to get toppled. Exactly. And he can always keep an apprentice and he'll always stay as the master until he realizes that he can't stop the power of father and son yeah he can't stop true love that's the one thing palpatine can't stop yeah and you know that ending of revenge of the sith where now he's got vader as his apprentice you know and everything vader's in the suit you know he he basically tells him that in his anger he kills padme and that we always knew Anakin was emotionally tied to everything. So for him to then finally learn that he has nothing, nothing at all. There's nothing holding him back. And then he can go on and be the person of the dark side that he is. And the good in him that Padme says is still there is what he has left, but he doesn't know he has it left until later so on. Luke, yeah, the only reason why I always believe Luke was the one is was the only one that could save Vader was because Luke is the last connection that he has left with everything to Padme to, to his life before exactly he's killed it, everything else you knew it was never he's gonna killed be the Jedi Order yeah he's, he hates Obi Wan exactly he knew it was never you knew it was never gonna be Obi Wan or Ben Kenobi you know and on top of that Obi Wan had already lost faith yeah that's even why after he has going exile. Padme tells him there's still good in him. You know, Obi-Wan's not telling Luke that. No. 
you know, he's not telling Luke, oh, you can save your dad. He's telling him, your dad's far gone. You have to kill him. And he the man, basically... The man Anakin Skywalker was is dead. Yeah, like, he never really says that that he could save his father. It was just, he he told it away where he lost the faith as, oh, well, your father, Anakin, was killed by Darth Vader. That He made them two different people. So that way, he knew that there was no saving in him because he lost the faith in trying to save him. But even in um, Return of the Jedi, when Luke sees Obi-Wan on Dagobah, he says, why didn't you tell him? And he goes, oh, it's all a matter of uh, perspective. Yeah, he goes, and then I, he tells him, what I, he says, I don't want to kill my father. And Obi-Wan goes, well, that's the only choice. The man, yeah. the man and, who was Anakin Skywalker is no longer here. Yeah, and then and, Luke is like, Luke, is, is, it's so hard for Luke to, to, to accept that because yeah. in, he knows that there's some good in Vader. Yeah. Because if Vader wanted to kill him, he could have killed him. Already. He could have killed him. But in rule of two perspective, he didn't want to. Because he yeah. wanted to take over the galaxy as father and son. Son, Star Wars is so cool because even the, like the movies, the stand, the the episodic movies, because it, it is what they say: it's the Skywalker saga. Mm-hmm. It follows, you know, the prequel trilogy is obviously Anakin's rise and fall. Yeah. The original trilogy is redemption. Redemption and hope. Hope, and then you have the sequel trilogy. Of, uh, we'll talk about that in in two weeks. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get to that. You know, the original trilogy is always a part of everything. You but... got anything else for us today, Rob? No, man. I think we're uh, pretty all set. I think we've covered our prequels pretty we've well. We covered our prequels today. You know, like this was this was some good stuff. It was good right. stuff. But before we go, I don't know if you heard. Uh-oh. What we got? But... Lucasfilms is dropping a new animated series. That is correct. Oh, I can't wait for Following this. Following the Clone, Clone Troop, Wars. Clone Troop 99. Yeah. Who we was got... introduced in Season 7 of Clone Wars, the Bad Batch. I cannot wait for this, uh, this new animated series of the Bad Batch to come. Uh, I think it was said uh, 2021. 2021, yeah. So... This is good. I mean, and to think about it, this is something that can be made in a COVID world because it's animated. So they're using computers and technology. You know, you don't have to worry about scheduling. All right, we need to book this area. We got to film that. And all right. The only thing that would be an issue is probably editing because you probably would have to wait on someone's notes. It's not like you're there. But the Bad Batch. Oh, I can't wait for this. It's so funny because when they debuted, I never thought of them surviving Order 66. You wonder, do they even have chips? That was my contemplation. When it came down to the Siege of Mandalore and they executed Order 66 on the TV show, I said to myself, I said, what's going to happen to the Bad Batch? I was like... It never even crossed my mind. I was so focused on Ahsoka. No, I, I, I had thought about it and I said, you know what? Do Like, do these clones... If they were experimented on, do they still have the chips in them? Do they take the chips out because they got experimented on? And does Echo find the chips inside that? Does it? Or my whole thing is like I think Echo has the chip inside of him. The Bad Batch doesn't have the chip, and I think that when Order sixty six gets executed, something triggers in Echo's mind, and they try and figure out what's wrong with him. 
They well, take wait, a do you, brain scan. I don't scan. believe that because Echo was trapped by the Separatists. His brains. He all, was. They had to. He's robot. So I think maybe you think the Separatists might have removed it when he I was think, already inside their thing. Yeah. Or remember how he he saved the day. He over. He used his brain to overload the system. Yeah, so his chip could ship. could even so be deactivated. Moment, the chip is already deactivated, or he blew it out through saving the day. This could be true, but I and I liked your uh, little thing on how you think Echo will be the reason that Rex links up with Wolf and Gregor. So there Echo. has to be some way where they get connected. The yeah, Wolf, Wolf because, Gregor, and Rex. Because we well, don't know what happens to Rex. We know Rex and Ahsoka are together for a bit and then they yeah go and we know rex you know he eventually shows up in rebels but you even have wolf we don't even know gregor we last saw gregor before rebels we last saw gregor in the clone wars and he died yeah we died air quotes on that but i i hope that wolf because i would like to see the perspective from it on a clone i hope wolf may have been involved in the killing of one of the jedi because I would like to see what would happen to the clone who freaks out when he gets this chip taken out. He goes, oh, my God, I betrayed my general. Like, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen? He's even on edge when... In Rebels, when he, and that's when, when Rebels, he contacts when he the Ezra Empire. And the he contacts the Empire. So he's like, he's like, the Jedi have come back to kill me. Exactly. And I think Wolf over Gregor, especially with that, because Gregor, he was on that desolate planet. Like, yeah. what, who the hell, what Jedi is Gregor going to find, in all honesty? Let's be real. Like, you know, Buku. you know, Wolf was definitely with the Jedi. You know, Wolf committed the act. But you know what? We know how Rex reacted to it. Yeah. I didn't betray my Jedi. Rex is a good guy. And the, the premise of the Bad Batch is dope to me because I always find in, like, in that Galactic Empire era, when they talk about bounty hunters, I always think it's cool. How during an an age of a autocratic government ruling the galaxy, you still have bounty hunters as the as a great profession when you would think bounty hunting is outlawed. Yeah, and it's a huge profession, and you know that profession. too because and Darth Vader hires Empire, bounty hunters. Yeah, the Empire uses bounty hunters to do the work that they don't feel like doing. Exactly. So it's cool to see how the Bad Batch become mercenaries. Are they still in their clone armor? What are they doing? It's yeah. cool. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. We have this would be second animated sequel to the Clone Wars TV show. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in terms with everything. And to be honest, it's probably I know one of the concepts is it's discussing like the aftermath of order 66 with it so this is definitely going to take place a good amount of years also before rebel uh, uh yeah before rebels because rebels is five years before a new hope a new hope yeah and i'm so, pretty sure this show will probably take place a few months after order 66 yeah or even and, maybe a year into the empire's run exactly and well i feel like we could get like a couple flash episodes of like what happened directly after order 66 for these guys. Mm -hmm. Cause we don't know what we could even get a little more of a backstory on when they started to get experimented on for all we know. 
Like this could be yeah, something I that happened. I definitely, they'll probably throw in episodes of flashbacks of when yeah. they were in the Clone Wars. Like that would be that would be huge and perfect, I think, and that connects a lot of things to this. So, but um, I'm super excited for this. The Bad I'm Batch. Stoked. Let's go. I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> Rob, it's been great. Oh, Darielle, it's always a pleasure. You know this. To you and all our Padawan learners out there. May the force be with you always.